This week on FX Guide TV. We're at the FMX conference in Stuttgart where we talk to Pixar's Christoph Harry about the blue umbrella and MPC's Michael Stein about their visual effects tools. This and more coming up next. Hello, I'm Angie Dale and we have a special episode for you this week. Ian Fales has been in Europe filming for both FX Guide and FX PhD. And while there, he attended FMX in Germany. Ian spoke to a lot of people and caught up with several of the presenters who were there for this premier European graphics and effects conference. Well, thanks for that, Angie. We're here in Stuttgart at FMX and I'm here with Matt Leonard. How are you, Matt? Very well, thank you. How have you found the conference this year? It's been really interesting, a great show. It seems to have had a pretty good turnout. Lots of things going on. Yeah, we've just heard there's been over 3,000 attendees and over 300 speakers as well, which kind of makes me think we can't see everything this year. No, there's been so many great things to see and it's just been impossible to get around everything. What do you, what do you think is sort of in the main theme this year of FMX? For me, it's definitely felt like a lot of kind of virtual production. There's been a lot of talks on that. Plus the collaboration between games and uh, the film industry, how that can get closer together. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I also love seeing the visual effects presentations. We, we just went to one on uh, Iron Man 3 with Trickster and Weta Digital. And we also saw, got to see uh, Pixar's new short film, The Blue Umbrella. And I uh, talked to Christoph from Pixar about the film. Pixar has always done, you know, this sort of study. Uh, you know, like they take every step uh, as being critical to the storytelling, and one of them is colors, surprisingly. Music as well is really important. Um, and in, the, in this particular one, we also had the rhythm of the rain, you know, that so they, they beaded the rain through the, sh through the, through the short. They, they kind of evolved the color, the color palette through the short as well. Like each time you would see the umbrellas, the images would become more saturated, would sort of take the colors of the umbrellas in a way, and we would try to motivate them by, by lights in the, in the city. You know, there's, there's a resolution at the end, so it's a bit happier, there's, there's sad moments by moment that are more desaturated, so they played on those different fronts um, to carry the story. I was originally hired, if I want to go back a little bit, I was hired for Monster University, and a lot of the uh, tools that we ended up using on, uh, on, the, on this short film uh, were uh, sort of taken from monsters, from what had been developed there. So there's a lot of effort to revamp the lighting pipeline. Uh, the lights are physical, uh, meaning that they all have size, they all have, uh, we use important sampling all throughout, uh, it's all ray traced. Um, so we use that as a basis. Uh, and then we uh, did a lot of treatment at the end uh, on top of that. And, and the idea of doing more physically based uh, with PRMAN um, and compositing is that you can do that together because now the assets are more consistent, there's no clipping, you know, like, so you can, you can even, even carry it more towards hyper-real if you want to, uh, because you are physically based to start with. Um, one of the big things on that short was that we were doing a cityscape and it was really large amount of data, so we had to be pretty clever about you know the geometry we'd bring in and, and all that stuff to, to make it fit in memory. I think the, the biggest thing was uh, compositing, deep compositing that was new to, to Pixar at the time. There was, uh, I mean we've used compositing but uh, like extensively like this, not as much. In particular uh, we did uh, depth of field in the post. 
you, Pixar is traditionally doing it in the render, but we really wanted to carry it like with like weird bokeh effect and tailor it per shot and 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 that stuff. So um, so that's what was more of a, an effects pipeline. Um, and you know, like we take uh, we take shorts as a ground for testing technologies as well. So um, so we could you know take some risks in quote here a little bit and. Uh, and it was very successful. I mean, hopefully it's going to inspire other shorts or other movies to go along in those directions. We'll see what happens. As, as on every short, we, we, we tested different tools. Katana was one of the tools we tested. Um, and, uh, you know, like we, we were learning it and we were designing um, uh, UI on top of it to, to satisfy our lighters. Uh, it was pretty successful at the end. I mean, we. Um, we delivered the shots, and uh, we we managed to uh, make it work with with Renderman, with our version of Renderman, etc. Um, so, and and the nice thing too is that, you know, like because we were in this deep compositing sort of landscape, um, there was a natural sort of pathway to Nuke, you know, like from Katana to Nuke. So that helped us as well. There was such a great example of you showed of neon lights. Um, yeah. Can you talk about how you use both Renderman and Katana to do some of the neon work? Yeah, so um, the idea is that uh, because the lights are physical to start with, uh, in particular uh, rectangular lights, we can put textures on them to, uh, to describe the emission, um, a planar emission or an angular emission. In this particular case, we were doing a planar emission. So the idea um, in the short is that neons, they, they have this really bright color feature at them, and they're especially very noticeable at night, which is what the short was about. And so we could use them to motivate that color I was speaking about. Um, and uh, basically, instead of, you know, like really modeling the neons and ray tracing to the neons and, and doing all that stuff, which would have required probably a lot of samples to do that, to converge properly. We, um, we used the rectangular realites had developed for, um, for Monster University and put a texture map on them. So we developed this pipeline um, in Katana that we would bake the, the neon geometry, convert it into a texture on the rectangular realite. That was really a custom tool we did. Uh, and interestingly, that was done with the by the lighters themselves. It didn't involve tools or any engineers. They were able to do that themselves. Um, and it was very efficient because once we had the texture map, we could make a library of such texture maps and just change and dress the shots accordingly. You know what I can? So it's, there was no necessarily no any desire of continuity necessarily. Uh, we were really tailoring to what we were telling for that shot. Uh, it was quite fascinating. Yeah. We had also a lot of, uh, because I spoke about the, the, indeed about the neon sign, mm. but we had also a lot of spherical lights because all the, all the city lights, you know, like the, the luminaires were all spheres. So we had shots with thousands of lights. So wasn't that a great shot? Oh yeah, I really love the blue umbrella. And it had some great tech in it as well, didn't it? Render Man's physically plausible shading. Render Man, but, but also who knew that they were using sort of visual effects tools like Katana, uh, Nuke. And, and Sapphire as well. Sapphire plugins, yeah. yeah I, it just gave it that real world sensibility. Yeah, definitely. Now you've done some other good interviews, haven't you? Since yeah, we have. Well, um, we also talked to Michael Stein from MPC about the visual effects tools that the studio's developed. Obviously, Kali is a big one yeah, that they're getting course. a lot of attention for. Mm -hmm. um, but we also went through a history of the other tools that they've developed over the years. 
Um, so we, we have development really in two main directions. Uh, we get a lot of uh, development requests specific to the shows that we're working on. So in, uh, on that front, we uh, work closely with uh, our head of VFX, uh, even during the bidding stage, to understand what it is that we think we might uh, have to do on a show and what type of development we might need. Sometimes there's tools that need to be written. Sometimes we're just extending tool sets that we have. Um, and that's a very uh, kind of an on-demand approach uh, because we don't know when the shows are coming in and, and what shows uh, they'll be. Uh, the other half of it is, is which is really the, the bulk of the work we do, is, is kind of a longer-term planning uh, type of development. So, so everything from uh, general infrastructure to support us being a global company, uh, our asset management system, all of our core CG and VFX tool sets, uh, and that's really a collaborative effort between the leadership team at MPC, uh, the leads of the software team, all of the heads of departments, you know, the supervisors have their own perspective and, and provide their own feedback to what's working and what's not in their productions. Um, so we all work together to try to figure out what really is going to make the most difference. Uh, there's always uh, an incredible amount of requests for, for new software uh, or improvements to what we have, and so there's never enough time or, or development resources. So it has to be a conversation about what's most important. At the high level, we have a software development philosophy that we follow. And, and that where interoperability is important and the leads are involved in, in designing software that fits into what we already have. Um, but we also have specific tool sets that we build everything on. Um, so for example, Muggins, which is our core CG and VFX framework, uh, is, uh, provides functionality for uh, you know, processing 3D data, for storing it, it's the data formats, it's the low-level functionality. And uh, we know if we build everything on top of that, then the interoperability ultimately comes for free. Um, that's also true of having a, a single asset management system that we build everything on top of, or frame, framework for doing workflows. Uh, and so as long as we have those underlying frameworks, and we know that every time we start a new project or every time we uh, are going to rework an existing one, that we don't stray from, from what we have at the base that everything should work out all right. That's not always the case. There are times where we do let projects uh, kind of stray a bit from the main branch and we just, it's on us to ensure that uh, when they find their sort of place that we help them back to the, the, the main part. We started out as uh, uh, doing software development really specifically for the films that we were working on. Um, so the projects kind of drove those big, uh, what we call our flagship products. Uh, and even most recently with Cali, uh, it was really the, the need for all the destruction work on Sucker Punch that, that forced us to look for a solution for that. Um, but having uh, now a more centralized software team allows us to ensure that the work we're doing is reusable over time and not just the big flagship products, but all of the code that we create. In all of these different directions, we've created effects tool sets that are powerful in their own right and what we really need to do is to bring those all together so that effects artists uh, can really create simulations that involve multiple types of simulations without having to uh, do one simulation uh, then get that data into another simulation and go back and forth. So if we can create Kali simulations uh, where things are, are, you know, become destructed and then those objects that come out of the destruction become rigid bodies uh, or generate particles or even our part of fluid simulations all in one sort of piece. Uh, it'll give the effects artist a lot more power 
to create their simulations and more time to actually get them right. We're really looking for uh, tools that uh, really present a framework for us to work with. So it's great when a third-party tool solves a particular problem, but one of the first things, especially as developers, we look for is, is there an SDK? Is there an API we can use? Because we need to be able to hook that into our asset management system uh, or hook it into uh, Muggins or our workflow system. Uh, and so it's really important that what we're, you know, if we're going to spend money to buy a piece of software, that what we're getting is a platform rather than just a piece of software that's a standalone. Um, we also do look at, at open source to see if there's something out there that solves a problem. Bullet's a great example of that. Uh, and, and, uh, but then if not, then we sort of figure out what uh, we need to build. Um, still, even though we have a centralized software department, we still generally tend to build things for the needs of the show first. Uh, and then just keeping in mind our design goals uh, and expecting that, that this isn't going to be a throwaway piece of software, but that we're actually going to uh, use it over and over again in shows. If we, we have a show that comes in uh, and we do work for it and it's, it's recognized as good work, the hope is that we get more work on the back of that and that piece of software would continue to be what we'd use. And Kali's a great example of that, where the work on Sucker Punch led to destruction work that we did on, on some of the Harry Potter films and on X-Men First Class and, and now on some of the new films that we're working on. So on top of the great presentations that we've heard and also the interviews that have obviously been done, it's been a great place to hear about new software releases as well. Yeah, that's right. Um, actually, we got a chance to talk to Don Parker from Shotgun. We talked about Shotgun 5.0. And also Gustavo Sanchez uh, from Next Limit. And he tells us about RealFlow 2013. 2013 is a major change because we have decided to scrap the initial base solution that we had for Hybrido. And now we have a flip solver in place. So we are uh, up to date, so to speak, with the um, fluid solutions. We have a very nice flip solver implemented that goes really, really fast. It can handle massive, massive amount of the data particles. We have simulated over 500 million particles easily with this new solver and I think we think it's great. I mean we've managed to create also a better, even better meshing system than the one that we had before. We were looking closely to Olympic since it first got announced at Seagraph and we decided that this was the right time for a lot of our clients and for new clients that have Alembic in the pipeline, having that implemented inside our flow is a, is a big plus. It's not only Alembic, we also in, temp in terms of uh, file formats, we are implementing uh, Field3D so especially the Houdini users that have a mixed pipeline that can use Houdini and RealFlow together. So we, we also have a, a new proprietary format um, that is called RPC, stands for RealFlow Particle Caches, and that in the long run will also substitute our old Bean format, which is pretty popular and it's been around for quite a while. This one is better because it uh, stores the information in channels, so we can decide which channels you want to save, you want to load, and it's also compressed in a similar way to Alembic. And I believe we're going to be making that open source. It's not a huge uh, redesign in the UI that will come in the next version. That's something that we have also in the pipeline. But it's pretty important because we are finally adopting the nodal systems to create the scene setups. And in that sense, uh, it's making things way more easier than before for real for users. Before it was pretty straightforward, in our opinion, but now it's really, really intuitive. In the dynamics, um, uh, solver that we have inside RealFlow since version 5, it's called Caronte. Um, we decided not to add many new features, but try and improve what it was there. 
So we have made the solver faster, more reliable, especially when dealing with multi-joint, which is the automatic creation of um, constraints. Um, we have some clients really uh, pushing forward this technology now, even in games industry. And uh, we believe this is a good move from the uh, dynamics department inside the company that is the one that serves RealFlow. This, this uh, version of RealFlow will have more stable dynamic, faster, and able to handle more uh, elements. And what about when the new release is coming out? And we are really close. In fact, we are going to be out at the end of May. So it's about time that we have this in the hands of the users. I mean, they have been asking for quite a long time. So uh, it's in a few weeks' time, just after FMX. This is a big release for us. Uh, we're dedicating it to artists and supervisors. So uh, the, uh, the best pipelines in the world, the most efficient studios we see in the world are ones where their artist tools, their supervisor tools are linked to the management and tracking tools. Uh, for years we've been focusing on building tools for the group in the studio we call the data masterminds. The, uh, that's the group that the spreadsheet people that they keep a lot of data in their head, they need to keep it organized, it's super critical for the whole show for everybody. And if they can't use your system, use our system well, rapidly, easily, then they'll work around you. So that was the first group that we'd been focused on um, with Shotgun. And now we've decided to focus on artists and supervisors. So one thing when sitting and talking to artists and supervisors that we heard is they don't want to see anything that looks like a spreadsheet. Um, they, want to they want it to be visual, they want it to be simple, they want to get in and they want to get out. So 5.0 is uh, the first step in our next generation set of tools as a brand, a total redesign, interface redesign. Uh, it has concepts of a very simple My Tasks app for artists that's just showing them very simply uh, the tasks they're assigned, quick access uh, to the information about the task. And it has an update stream. Everything has an update stream now. So all the shots and assets have like a, like a blog rule. So you can quickly scan. It looks like a Facebook wall. And not only can you visually just see what's been happening recently, what the conversations have been, and who's been publishing files, but you can follow things. So we're taking cues from social apps that we see the artists using anyway. And now they can define what shots, what assets are interesting to me. Uh, they can follow them and the updates from all those things show up in their inbox, which is a new app inside of Shotgun, and it can show up in their email as well. I feel like we're building the software from inside the industry, from inside the studios. We have very close relationships with our customers. So we're always there, we're always talking about what, what should we be doing next. And we noticed that it was the artists and the supervisors that um, that were, let's see how I'm going to say this. Um, right. We noticed that artists and supervisors needed quicker, faster access to information. Artists, most of our clients have email spam problems. Um, the artists actually get kind of emotional about it when you talk to them. They're just so mad that they get all this spam. And so we talked to them and we asked them, what they needed to get their job done. And we iterated, we did designs, we showed it to them, we've been working on prototypes. So it was definitely an iterative design process in close collaboration with, with our customers. There's uh, a new global search uh, feature, uh, but the biggest component is uh, Inbox. It's a, a, an update stream that you can control, uh, My Task app, 
uh, global search and this concept of following. Um, we're just finishing up the final bits now. It's in QA and Final Polish, and it'll be rolling out in early May. Well, that's it for FMX 2013. Matt, it's been a really great conference. It's been a fantastic conference, great weather. I've really missed not having John here. I have also missed John, and I hope he comes next year, of course. Um, but where are you off to now? I'm going to be heading home to London tonight. All oh, right. Well, I'm also going to London to do a couple of interviews for FX Guide. Um, so hopefully you'll see them on the site soon. But um, before we go, I just wanted to thank Matt, of course, for his help during the week, and also Ben Greasley and all the FX PhD guys. So thanks so much. See you later. Thanks, Ian. And thanks to Matt Leonard, who also helped out so much with that. Matt has also been leading the work FXPHD has been doing on Katana, something highlighted at FMX. And there are two courses on Katana at fxphd.com this term. Don't forget, if you like this podcast, you may also like our other podcasts, especially in this case, The VFX Show, our review show where we discuss and review VFX in film, TV and around the world. It is available on iTunes or from our site. Well, until next time, see ya. For more industry news, in-depth features, podcasts and forums, check out fxguide.com. And for visual effects training, check out fxphd.com.